Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Greg Dutch is sitting across from me. Greg, what's going on, man? Dude, I am finding out ways that Lisa and I cannot afford college education, and that's exciting. <laughs> Basically, dude, every seminar you go to, just for any prospective parents, I know a lot of our audience have probably been there, done that, it's old school, but for any with younger kids, the most fascinating things about these seminars is some of them come at a different angle to show you a new way you can't afford college. <laughs> so that was exciting. Now, I just uh, you can tell I'm just fresh from filling out the FAFSA. Yes. <laughs> and um, I put at the end, uh, can you find me a way for my daughter to go to any college she wants and that we would incur zero debt or expenses at all? Uh, I'm waiting for an answer. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you might be waiting yeah. a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you mean I shouldn't be at the mailbox every day yeah. checking that, seeing what? what comes I, I think Sam would be uh, graduated with children of her own. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'll still be waiting by the mailbox. It's coming any day, honey. But no, obviously I'm exaggerating somewhat. But uh, that has become our inside joke. You know? Yeah. But hey, we went to this seminar, found out another way we can't afford it. So. Right. So that was uh, that was fun, but it is fun though, man. Looking at all this stuff out there, and we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember uh, it wasn't too long ago that I went through all that stuff, and as Joy was going through her master's, we you know kind of rolled right into it. And yeah, it's it's a pain in the neck. Yes, yes, and it's uh, everybody's burden at some level. No That's doubt. right. And we, you know, we'll. Um, we always tell her, Sam, we want you to go wherever you want to go and where we tell you we can afford. That's right. Um, so there, there's some happy balance in there. That's right. It's yeah. like the Venn diagram, right? Yeah. As long as it meets in those <laughs> yeah. two places, it's, you're it's, great. These are the goalposts. <laughs> Stay within the goalposts. That's that's exactly right. But um, very excited about what we're doing today, man. Absolutely. Um, real quick, want to give a, a shout out to our sponsor, Olive Tree. Olive Tree. Uh, Olive Tree Bible Software. Just looking at their website earlier today. Uh, pretty good when you get a uh, shout-out from, say, somebody like John Piper that says the Olive Tree Bible app is my default mobile Bible. Um, that's pretty significant. Uh, that's a man who obviously is quite known for his love of the Word and his preaching of the Word uh, would say that. So my voice is far, far smaller, but I will say I'm noticing some things like, for instance, today, uh, at least the day we're taping this, and I think throughout the month of October. Forgive me, Olive Tree, if I'm wrong. Spurgeon's Sermons Complete Set. Now, that's 63 volumes in book form. Mm-hmm. Uh, regularly priced pretty well at $74.99 is $34.99 oh, wow. right now. So really making uh, making materials that when I was in seminary, dude, and you would salivate over a professor's bookcase yeah. or a seasoned pastor's book collection, you think, man, maybe if I scrape together the next... 27 paychecks we can get some of these uh it's amazing how much cheaper these things are now as a result of this kind of software so uh obviously uh, olive tree's been a great friend to us and if you were to enter our special these go to 11 promo code which is the word sustain you get a great discount and uh, check out all of their books commentaries maps materials you won't be disappointed absolutely and um another great friend to us uh sponsor in some regards they help us out when we um send out uh books to our listeners um pnr publishing yes and another great guest from pnr publishing today uh dr richard belcher dr belcher how are you today i'm doing fine thank you um dr belcher if you could uh just give us a little background about yourself where you're from friends family what you do all that stuff so our listeners um can get a feel for you and who you are Okay, I, I grew up, I'll be brief, I grew up in the home of a uh, Southern Baptist pastor who had a conversion to kind of Reformed theology. Mm-hmm. He has he has the same name I do, 
I'm a junior. He ended up teaching at Columbia Bible College, uh, Columbia International University, for almost 29 years, and he retired um, well, seven or eight, nine years ago. That was my father. Uh, I never lived in Columbia, South Carolina. I went to um, college at Covenant College um, and went uh, as sort of as a biology major, but I ran into trigonometry. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, Love the Bible courses so much. I changed my majors. I uh, went to seminary and pastor for 10 years, then went to Westminster Seminary for my PhD. And I was finishing up uh, around 1995 and came to RTS Charlotte to teach Old Testament in 1995. Wow. Wow. That's great. Can, can I ask, Richard, your uh, father, and obviously um, you, you edit it as you would like, but um, so he was a Southern Baptist pastor. Um, yes. In, in, a, in a non-reformed stream, obviously, since he switched over at some point. Um, I mean, did did he suffer any consequences as a result of that? Were there friendships, uh, ministries, churches that um, that he had to navigate carefully through when he when he had that kind of a major uh, a paradigm shift? He was pretty wise in how he went about doing it. Uh, our, our worship service at the church changed. I was a young a young man still living at home when it happened and the worship services uh became much more god-centered and he was wise about how he how he made the change uh with with the people uh he stayed southern baptist all of his life wow Uh, he sent me to some presbyterian schools and uh, along the way i became presbyterian which he was okay with sure 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 so because i'm i'm guessing at this time um I mean, obviously, today it feels there's a more welcome audience in major sections of the of the SBC, of course. That's um, right. With you know Southern Seminary and Dr. Moeller and, and so many uh, that that are part of that stream. So was your That's father right. sort of a renegade for his time? Well, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he was involved in what was called the Founders uh, Movement. He used oh, to yes. speak at the Founders yeah. Conferences, which was early on the Reformed uh, wing of people who were Reformed in the Southern Baptist Convention. So, um, and it probably may have affected him in some ways. But um, at, at Columbia Bible College, you know, they have a wide variety of views, and um, they let him teach uh, teach what his views were. Interesting. Very nice. Um, so once again, we are um, here with Dr. Richard Belcher, PNR Publishing. Dr. Belcher, we're talking about your book, Prophet, Priest, and King. And if you could, um, would you give us the Spark Notes version of your book for our audience? Sure. Um, this this book deals with each of the roles of prophet, priest, and king. It, it begins with the importance of the roles. It talks about the roles as they are found in Genesis 1 through 3 early on with Adam and Eve. At least the priestly role is implicit there. Uh, you have all three roles in the life of Abraham. And so because of the fall, these roles need to be redefined. And these roles are defined within the nation of Israel. And so the book has a chapter, an Old Testament chapter on each of the roles that describes the function of the roles in the Old Testament. The book has a New Testament chapter on each of the roles and how Christ fulfills each of those uh, roles, prophet, priest, and king. And then it, uh, the book has a, a closing chapter on implications for the church. 
where I argue that these roles continue, that elders, pastors continue to have a prophetic, priestly, and uh, kingly role in their work uh, as ministers, and but that these roles also continue in the lives of individual believers uh, who have prophetic, priestly, and kingly roles. So that last chapter is uh, trying to draw out some implications of, of what these roles mean for God's people today. Interesting, interesting. Could, could you um, um, unpack that a little bit for us uh, regarding the life of Abraham, for instance? I'm, I'm thinking of the listener who was in and saying, okay, yeah, where, where were those three roles uh, find expression in Abraham's life. Uh, love, love to hear you just uh, uh, wax eloquent on that one, Dr. Belcher. Sure. Um, Abraham obviously is called by God to come uh, to uh, the land uh, of Canaan that uh, he will give his descendants. And when he comes to the land, he builds altars, which is his statement of faith uh, in God's ownership of the land, and he will get it. But you can't separate altars from sacrifice. Yes. So you could connect that uh, to a priestly role. Uh, In Genesis 14, uh, when Lot is taken by a coalition of kings, um, Abraham sort of defends the land, if you will, gathers together an army from his own own household and goes and does battle with uh, a coalition of kings in order to rescue Lot. So that would be a kingly role. And then in Genesis 20, Abraham is specifically called a prophet. And his role in chapter 20, after he's gone um, down to Gerar and uh, he lies again, as he did in Genesis 12, and Sarah is taken into Abimelech's household, um, God strikes Abimelech's household with barrenness, and Abraham is called to pray uh, for Abimelech's household. And in that context, he is called a prophet, uh, and he prays for Abimelech's household that they would no longer be barren. So I think those are three instances where you can see uh, these roles in Abraham's life. Yes, yes, very, very good. I, I was um, uh, thinking about this because I remember in a seminary class uh, <clears throat> talking about First uh, Samuel thirteen and um, Saul's unlawful sacrifice, um, yes. which of course gets us into these sort of matters. Uh, were there people like an Abraham, like David, which I would love to hear your thoughts on as well, uh, where the three roles uh, merged um, into one, I'd say, proper package. But in a case like Saul, we have him uh, apparently taking what we would think of as a priestly role upon himself, which he shouldn't have done. And right. um, how, do you, how do you navigate such text um, as, you know, as you think about these roles, Dr. Belcher? Sure. I think in Saul's case, it's it's his disobedience to the word of the Lord through Samuel mm-hmm. that's the problem there. And I think when kingship develops within Israel, the king does have a responsibility to sponsor the worship of God and even uh, some limited um, uh, ability to offer sacrifices when David brings the Ark of the Covenant uh, into Jerusalem. I think it's 1 Samuel 6. He does offer sacrifices, but there is a limit to what the kings are able to do. And you see that limit clearly in Uzziah's case where he wants to go into the tabernacle. He wants to offer the sacrifice himself. Yes. And the, the priests prohibit him from doing that. And in a 
you know, he is defying them and God strikes him with leprosy. So, you know, I, I do think with the king, there's some limited um, sacrificial things that they can do at certain places. But I, I don't see in the Old Testament, I, I see the kingship and the priesthood um, still kept very separate from each other. Uh, and that there were certain things that the king was not allowed to do. And that is the case, I think, throughout most of the Old Testament. Yes, yes. Interesting. I, um, and I think that is key. You're right. When, when the text makes it very clear um, what Saul was not permitted to do and he does it, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's just a case, obviously, to me where uh, a you know generally um, good and applied theology of prophet, priest, and king can't overrule the specific commands that God gives to a character in a given moment at a given time. Uh, I, I just remember having that debate. You, you took me back to my seminary days, mid-90s, Dr. Butcher, which, oh, <laughs> which I long for because I was younger and had hair. Um, <laughs> so uh, going, going way, way back. Um, and obviously, I, we'd love to set you up just because we love when guests such as yourself, Dr. Belcher, talk about Christ in his just all-sufficient uh, role as Savior. Uh, sure. and, and in this case, um, and obviously very, very eager to, to read your book, but just make the case for us. How is Jesus uh, our prophet, priest, and king in the highest sense? Um. Well, there's a, a variety of, of ways or, that I could make that argument. And, and what this book does is it, it sets out the definition of each of those in the Old Testament. And then it sort of uses the way it's developed in the Old Testament to talk about how Christ fulfills those offices. Now, obviously, the office of the prophet, Deuteronomy 18.5, he is the prophet who comes, who's sent by God, who proclaims the word of God. But he's more than just a prophet who proclaims the word of God. He is the word of God. So he, in some ways, transforms these offices uh, in, in, his, in his work. Um, he, his life as a prophet reflects um, the suffering uh, and opposition to the word of God that Jeremiah himself experienced. Uh, and he also um, accomplishes mighty deeds uh, in his prophetic role, much like Elijah. So that would be briefly what I would say about the prophetic role. Uh, in the priestly role, it's very interesting. You know, Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. So on one level, he's not able to go into the earthly tabernacle. Of course, his priesthood is of a higher order according to the order of Melchizedek, but he does, while he's on the earth, fulfill uh, one of the roles of the Levites in the Old Testament, and that goes back even to the garden where Adam was to guard the garden. The Levites were to guard the tabernacle uh, and that area. You couldn't just stroll in as an Israelite into the tabernacle area, and you see that role in Jesus's earthly life uh, in the cleansing of the temple, um, where he uh, tries to bring that temple, that portion of the temple where he's at there into its proper uh, function. He guards God's people as he prays mm-hmm. for, uh, for Peter, that uh, that Satan would not um, have his way with Peter. Um, 
and and he guards the word of God. So I, I, there's there's that level that we don't think about too much in relationship to the uh, work of Christ uh, while he's on the earth. But obviously his priesthood um, comes into full um, form and revelation in his ascension. And uh, he's a priest in the heavenly tabernacle, which is the real uh, the real tabernacle. And he continues uh, that role uh, of intercession for us. Of course, his his sacrifice um, on the cross would fit a priestly role as he is the sacrifice uh, that ends all sacrifices. And then he continues as our great high priest uh, in, in the heavenly realms, continuing to intercede uh, for us. Uh, and in the kingly role, you can talk about the humiliation uh, of Jesus, his kingship in terms of his humiliation. Um, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, even in the last days of his life on earth, he is in control. They, they come to arrest him and uh, he speaks to them and they fall back. So you see elements of, of his kingship there. Mm-hmm. So, so his kingship and his humiliation, but then again, his kingship and his exaltation where he ascends to the right hand of God the Father. He rules uh, the universe for the sake of his people and he will bring all things under his control. And we're certainly looking forward to to that day when Amen. everything is under his control. Yes. Excellent. Dr. Belcher, this is Nathan. Um, yes. If we could jump back to the Old Testament for a minute and, and go back to that example of king, what would you say to someone who um, looks at Israel and says, well, they were never meant to have an earthly king, but mm-hmm. God was to be their only king? How, how do you kind of work through and navigate that? Sure. That's a good question. Um you certainly see periods of Israel's history where God, God's always to be their king in essence. Um, but but the promise of kingship uh, goes back to Abraham in mm-hmm. Genesis. I think it's 17. God says kings will come forth from you. Um, Deuteronomy 17 uh, sets up uh, when you come into the land um, and you ask for a king, um, here are the parameters within which the king must operate. There are limits set on uh, what a king can and cannot do within Israel. And those limits are because God is always um, the king. And if there is a human king, that king would be under uh, the kingship of God and under his authority. I think when you come to Israel's request for a king in 1 Samuel, I think they are requesting for a king with wrong motives. They want to be like the other nations. They want the king to lead them into battle. But if you read Israel's history, it's, 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 it's God, Yahweh, who leads them into battle and defeats their enemies. So I think the timing of it is not um, in terms of God's timing, looking at it from Israel's perspective. They, they want a king and they want it now. Yes. And and so God basically sort of um, gives them the kind of king that they want in Saul. He's not he's the king's choice. God does commission Saul as their king, but he rejects the word of God. He's rejected. And then God raises up David, which who is really his choice for kingship. So I see kingship as being sort of talked about early on that 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 king a kingship will arise within Israel uh, and I think when you get to First Samuel, it's a matter of of timing and motivation. Uh, the God's people are getting impatient. 
uh, with what's going on. And of course, all along the way, Book of Judges especially is kind of making the case uh, for a king who would rule under God's authority. There is no king in Israel. Everyone did well. It was right in his own eyes. Yes. So, um, so that's how I, I think I would answer that question. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, because uh, and again, pardon to the audience, my cold, and I'm still still getting past. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll take out all those uh, sniffles in the post, right, Nathan? <laughs> no problem. Uh, we'll we'll try to. Um, yeah, that's that's something that all I always wrestled with, and I think your answer there was so clear, Doctor Belcher. I. Uh, I I just remember you know, taking my crack at the Old Testament as a young believer uh, mm-hmm. when I was 17, 18 or so, and being confused. It seems like they shouldn't have a king, because uh, I know Samuel's upset when they ask for one, but you're exactly. right, those earlier passages speak of a king that would come and the way he should rule as a godly king. Um, so obviously in the, in the sovereignty of God, uh, Saul was in that sense meant to be the king. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always thin ice when you... Uh, when you conjecture on these things, but it, it seems in the truer sense, you know, um, David would have been the better one to have started out with. That's me giving a little human editorializing, not uh, sure. not not sure. questioning God's uh, sovereign plan, obviously. But yeah, sure. the the manner in which they ask for it, which which is interesting. Would would you say that what tends to go wrong with the kings themselves, uh, most famously in Solomon's downfall, Doctor Belcher, is mm-hmm. that they um, they themselves, it's not just that the people want a king like the kings of the other nations, but so many of those kings themselves seem like they want to be like the kings of the other nations. Oh, oh very much so. If you read the limits in Deuteronomy 17 placed on Israel's kings, they shall not multiply horses, which means you don't trust in your military. You yes. trust in God to fight for you. You should not multiply wives, which means you don't develop harems and um, – and uh, money and wealth. Um, you look at Solomon's life toward First uh, Kings ten. It's those things that that are that are his downfall. Um, he multiplies horses, multiplies wives. Now God gave Solomon his wealth, uh, and Solomon had great wisdom, but he turned away from the Lord at the end of his life. Yes. So. Um, but you're right. The kings, they wanted to rule. They wanted to be like the ancient Near Eastern kings where their word uh, was the ultimate word. Um, but uh, within Israel, even when when, a, when Samuel commissioned Saul, it was very clear that the word of God through Samuel was more authoritative than the word of the king. And that's the way it was to be set up in Israel, that the yes. king was under God's authority. But but. You're right. The kings, a lot of the kings in the history of Israel did not want to be under God's authority and they wanted to do their own thing. Yes. Yes. I uh, also wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned uh, just a moment ago in um, talking about how Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of uh, prophet, priest and king. I think you made a quick allusion to Jesus power that is present in the garden, the night of his arrest. And uh, this is something I've often wondered about. This is uh, by far um, mm-hmm. one of the, the most unimportant questions we'll ask you today, Dr. Belcher, but okay. whenever I have a scholar on, I love to pick their brains on things like this. Um, I've often wondered when uh, Peter cuts off the ear of, I think it's Malchus, we find out his name in, in one of the Gospels mm-hmm. uh, where we, we learn his name. It's always fascinating to me that um, the story doesn't wrap up there uh, the way I, I would think it would. I would think, okay, and then Peter was also arrested. 
Uh, you know, and Peter was also right. bound and taken. You know, right. um, in other words, you know, to be rather crass about it, I, I can't imagine that the miracle of his ear being uh, miraculously restored just made them forget necessarily that Peter had done this terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've just wondered before, is that potentially some evidence that Jesus' power uh, in a more muted way, working in an unusual way in the garden that night. You mean that he was the only one arrested? Yes, yes. That, in other words, Peter himself. I'm thinking. Uh, don't think that uh, the um, uh, you know the the guard that comes in uh, from the, from the chief priest uh, right. would take kindly to being hacked at uh, by another man's sword. Um, sure. And it just always fascinated me that it leaves with Jesus being marched out of there, but. But no one else, Peter is not uh, bound for that crime. And I just uh, a question that actually came up in a small group I was in years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one man who I always think, uh, man, Joe, you can ask the hardest question and the <laughs> most astute observation that I've never thought about one time. And he asked mm-hmm. me that four or five years ago. He says, "How come they just let Peter go?" Yeah. And uh, it just again, not that I, I think any of us can answer that. I just sure. wondered since you had mentioned, you know, when when they do fall back when when Jesus speaks. Right. Uh, is there some evidence of an unusual power at work that night to preserve God's plan, which, of course, is focused entirely on Jesus of Nazareth at that moment? Right. Uh, that's a good question. It may be a part of Jesus protecting uh, his disciples. Yes. Um, it, you know, it could be you have your ear sliced off and Jesus reaches out and heals it. Uh, that's going to that's quite a quite an act in, in that context. You don't know how much that might have uh, affected it maybe maybe part of this all speculation but maybe maybe their their job was only to get jesus maybe they were told so there's a number of things that sort of comes to my mind Interesting. I don't know. no no question, i i but yeah. it's a good question yeah. yeah yeah i do think that the uh the stunning impact of course of having your ear <laughs> you know once hacked off and then a moment later miraculously restored is probably right. a once in a lifetime experience. <laughs> um, right. So just, you know, I just, I thought, Oh, you'd mention that. That's, that's a question this guy asked this small that's group right. who can uh, ask the most unusual questions, but jump in there, Nathan. Yeah. So Dr. Belcher, as we took a look at the old Testament and then took a look at um, the, the perfect fulfillment in Christ, where do you now see the church as carrying on Christ's perfect fulfillment? Um, of each of these roles, uh, yes. About? Well, I think in the the prophetic role, you can talk. There's several levels you can talk. You can talk about the church corporate. Mm-hmm. You can talk about uh, the role of uh, pastors and elders, and then you can talk about individual believers. Um, but in terms of the prophetic, uh, at, uh, prophetic role, it's the proclamation of the word of God. It's understanding the word of God and proclaiming it. Of course. Pastors and elders are commissioned to uh, pass on that deposit that we have and to be faithful in their um, proclamation of the word in you know a variety of contexts. Uh, individual believers, I think it could relate to, uh, first of all, studying the word of God, understanding what the word of God says. I think every um, Christian disciple of Christ has that responsibility, but then in a variety of roles, um, fathers teaching their families, mothers teaching their children, um, using the word of God in the daily life experiences that, that we have as, as God's people. So, um, so that's how I would do with the, with the prophetic role. 
I think the priestly role um, in terms of the uh, pastors and elders, it's you, you can relate the priestly role in the Old Testament to worship. Uh, and I think you can draw legitimate connections to the worship of the church in terms of how the New Testament, the terms that the New Testament uses to talk about the worship of God's people corporately. Uh, and um, pastors and elders uh, have a role in that. In terms of individual believers, um, it's, it's, it's our own uh, worship, but it's also there's, a, there's an emphasis in the Old Testament on service. Mm. And I bring in, I try to bring in here, um, it, it goes back to the fact that in the Garden of Eden, the two verbs that are used of Adam's role in the Garden of Eden to, um, to serve it and to guard it are also the two verbs used of the role of the Levites mm. in the um, tabernacle. And I relate that to vocation mm -hmm. so that I think um, we all have a vocation from God or whatever we're doing at a particular point of our life is what God has given us to do. And so we should do it to the glory of God in the service of others. Mm -hmm. So I try to bring in the aspect of work there because Adam's work in the garden um, had those two verbs there that are used um, for the Levites role in the uh, in the tabernacle. And then the kingly one is is pretty uh, clear in Genesis one that uh, humanity, mankind, is given dominion uh, over God's creation, and um, we continue that today. Elders and pastors, in terms of their governing of the church, um, the ruling of the church, and um, individual believers, and just how God, you know, gives us responsibility and, and dominion in various areas of our lives um so very quickly is sort of uh, how i would answer that question hmm, very good and in in terms of an individual application dr belcher I, i'm mm -hmm. picturing a guy i'll just think of some guys in our church right now i, I know sure. some guys that are uh, financial investors with uh, t sure. Rowe price or leg mason and and they might listen to this podcast and say man this is um this is all well and good. They, um, you know, they're, they're talking obviously about these Old Testament themes that carry into the New Testament. Maybe there's mm -hmm. some buy-in I have from the standpoint of I'm a part of the church, and as you said, the church, uh, you know, the church corporate has a way in uh, continuing these roles today. Um, mm -hmm. Just, I think one of the most interesting aspects of your book, of course, the way you laid it out, is that you really are going to try, and or you do. We're going to try to 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 get the sense of how this is personalized. Um, right. How how would you say a person that hears this and say, you know, that that it's got all sounds good, it's it's churchy, it's got a religious mm -hmm. ring to it. Uh, this idea of prophet, priestly, kingly role really has nothing to do with me. I'm an investment banker, or I'm a school teacher, or you know, I'm a college student. Just um, right. how do these roles impact us, or how should they impact us as we think about our day to day lives? Yeah. Well, if you're, let's say. Um if you're a person who has a company that cleans floors, mm -hmm. um, the prophetic role would relate to you is you need to understand the word of God. You're going to meet situations uh, in your business. You're going to have to make decisions. And the more you know the word of God, the better decisions you will be able to make if they are decisions that relate to, you know, things that are right and wrong. Uh, you will have opportunity to influence people as you come into contact with them. Mm 
And so the more you know the Word of God, the more you're able to um, use the Word of God in, in, in influencing people and helping people. Uh, that might be how the prophetic role could could work out. Uh, obviously, if, if it's a father, he, he's going to teach his children. Um, in, in terms of the priestly role, you know, you know part of our dominion is uh, to understand how God's creation works. And so maybe you can develop the best way to clean floors, mm-hmm. maybe with a better way to clean floors, which would be very helpful to your business. But it's also uh, something that relates to our dominion over God's creation. We, we are to be good stewards of God's creation, but we are also to understand how God's creation works and and uh, develop these kinds of things. You know, be entrepreneurs, uh, be be small C creators, if you will, not big C creators like God is in Genesis one, but, uh, but, but to have uh, rule over um, aspects of God's creation and then have your business be that, which is serves other people. Now you, you do need to make a profit in the business, but, but it can also be that which serves other people and you can use your business to serve other people. Uh, so that, that could be the priest of the uh, kingly, well, both the priestly and the kingly role come in there. The kingly role would be the dominion aspect as to understand how God's creation operates. And the priestly role would be to use your business uh, to serve other people. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. I like that template, really, to uh, uh, walk a person through that. And again, uh, as a pastor, Dr. Belcher, and, and since you did this, these are the questions I get all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, hey, you know, break this down for me, Greg. Give me some application, which Nathan sure. knows full well. It's <laughs> never been my specialty. Uh, so I love that you have thought about this and walked through this. And I'm wondering as well, implications for marriage. I don't know if you draw that connection in your book. Um, as I said, we haven't had the privilege of reading it mm-hmm. yet. But mm-hmm. do do you see uh, these three roles impacting a uh, a Christian marriage in a uh, in a pretty profound way? Yeah, I haven't thought about how it would relate to a couple, but I think it would relate to each uh, the husband in in certain ways, and it would relate to each role would relate to the wife as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much along some of the lines we've already said, how the husband would understand what the Word of God says about his role as a husband and and live that out, and the wife would understand what the Word of God says about her role as a wife. That would be the prophetic aspect. The, uh, the priestly aspect uh, could be how to uh, serve my spouse um, with the gifts that God has given to me, offer myself as a living sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the worship of God could come into play, individual worship, uh, worship as a family uh, could come into play there. And in the kingly role, um, how the husband's role in, in terms of um, uh, headship and authority um, and then how the wife's role would fit into that. But also, you know, the wife would have um, ways in her own life where she would exercise dominion in, in certain areas, um, perhaps with the children, um, in some of those ways. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, and I know I'm on a roll here, but as I'm thinking through all these, you had mentioned earlier to Nathan's question in terms of how this impacts the church. Uh, you were, I could tell, thinking out loud in, in terms of, you said, well, there's the church uh, uh, church corporate, mm-hmm. uh, there's individual members, and you had mentioned elders, pastoral team sessions, depending on the church's mm-hmm. perhaps unique sure. uh, you know, DNA. Um, how would uh, you see this? And maybe to show you a little bit more of my hand here, um, 
something tells me that you're not going to recommend me or any pastor standing up on a Sunday and say, hey, I'm the prophet, priest, and king of this show. Right. Um, so, <laughs> something yes. tells me, Dr. Melcher, you're going to say, not not the way to go. But uh, obviously there is some tie-in, uh, since you had mentioned that, uh, that has to be um, uh, carefully appropriated. And I wonder what your thoughts are on these roles in terms of a church leadership team. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I, I would not want to call myself a prophet. I would not want to call any pastor a prophet. I would not want to call any member a prophet. I think that gives the wrong connotations mm. uh, to uh, to these things. Uh, we can, we continue a prophetic role. So that's the way. And I wouldn't want to call the pastor the priest. Uh, we have one high priest. Yes. And I wouldn't want to call the pastor, well, the king or <laughs> By the king, so um, that, that's that's an excellent point. Um, the, the, we are under shepherds; those who are pastors and elders are under shepherds of Christ, the great shepherd. And so, um, we our prophetic role is to handle accurately the word and the message that has been given to us. We do not originate; um, revelation has ceased. And we have uh, God's revelation in his word, and that's what we are responsible for. And uh, same thing in terms of if you think about the priestly role, um, you know, the, the things that, that God's word has set forth um, in, in terms of, of um, worship and, and those kinds of things. Um, the, the, the elders and the pastors are to assist God's people in worship. They're not to be the focus of God's worship, I think is how I would put it. Mm. And, and then in the kingship role, the, um, the elders um, and pastors um, do have a governing authority. It's according to the word of God, um, but it's not their authority. It's mm-hmm. an authority given to them. And so they are very much under the authority of, of Christ and, and the word of God as they carry out uh, their roles of admitting members into the church. Uh, sometimes church discipline would come into play under mm-hmm. this aspect as well. Excellent. Very good. Um, Greg, were there any other thoughts or comments that you had? Well, I could probably keep tiring out Dr. Belcher because there's so many ways that I – as he as he gives um, an example of each, right. you know, uh, each role, each person, each uh, uh, each dimension of life, uh, <clears throat> I, I do think this prophet, priest, and king role is rarely thought of. It, to me, it's one of those things, Doctor Belcher. Everybody knows. I think they've heard it. You know, the prophet, priest, and king. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember um, you're the first person uh, that I've talked to in a long time, really since probably since seminary. I had a uh, one of my profs, Dr. Zimmerman, said one time that it's helpful to think of ourselves in mm-hmm. these roles. And, of course, he was very careful, very nuanced, as you have been uh, in our conversation today, lest somebody is going around <laughs> labeling themselves a king or a prophet. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, what you do, obviously, in the book, in in giving all of this over to King Jesus, prophet Jesus, priest Jesus, ultimately, we, we see that these things are um, – are, uh, they 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 take shape in our lives, but because of Christ in us, working through the church, working through His people. So um, I mean, yeah, I I could keep doing this a hundred times over, but I won't. <laughs> Perhaps it would be good to ask you because I know our time has gone quickly, Doctor <laughs> Belcher. But is there anything else since we haven't read the book that you are particularly eager to share, excited about listen or um, and well, in our case, listeners 
hearing, readers learning as uh, they get a copy of your book? I think the book is useful for the church. It has uh, study questions at the end of each chapter. I'd love to see it used in churches. You know, if you they need a book to do a Bible study on. Uh, or do a, a book study. I'd, I'd love to see it used in churches. And there's uh, sort of a work, a small worksheet at the end of the book uh, related to the last chapter. Uh, and and prophet, priest, and king have, has always been very important in the Reformed community. Heidelberg Catechism uses these uh, roles to, to even talk briefly about our roles as believers. Yes. But I don't know of a book out there that has all three developed uh, in the way that I have. And so I think it fits kind of a, a something that's, that's, that's been lacking. And so I'm, I'm, I'm praying that God, God will use it for the edification of his church. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're going to go ahead um, and, and wind things down and, and get ready to sign off here. But we do want to let our listening audience know um, that we are going to uh, just put out a little contest there. We're going to give away two or three of these books, um, and we'll get more nuanced in detail. But, Dr. Belcher, we don't want you to hang around and have to listen to all that. So, <laughs> Hear uh, all of our boring rants. That's right. So you, I mean, you, you've already done the heavy lifting, so we'll, uh, we'll finish it off for sure. So, Greg, Dr. Belcher, we just rocked the CASBA. Rocked it. These go to 11.